Let's turn to the Word of God. We need to feed on the Word. We need a word hunger and a spirit thirst so that we would be well fed. We're in the book of 1 Peter, and we're beginning in chapter 3 now. I want to remind you where we were last week. Last week we began a section in 1 Peter that said this, 1 Peter 2.13, Peter said, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And the first institution that Peter looked at was governing authorities, uh, rulership and authority. God had established that. In fact, it's the first human institution because if you look, didn't he tell Adam and Eve to have dominion and authority over all the earth? But then he speaks to the, the worst scenario of human authority that had gone wrong, and that was slavery. So many slaves in the church. And so we certainly understand that slavery is, is a distortion of governing authority, isn't it? But what was his remedy for the solution of a distortion of God's best is to change the heart. And so he told those slaves to become slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he told those masters of slaves to become slaves to Jesus Christ. And in doing this, it changes the inward actions of men to get it governing back into the proper perspective of God. Well, that was last week. Well, now we come into another divine institution or human institution that God established on earth. Immediately after that of authority upon the earth, the next institution was marriage, wasn't it? What he did is he created Adam and made sure that Adam figured out it was no good to be alone. See, if he would have created Adam and Eve immediately, Adam would have known immediately that she was with him. But what God did was created Adam and then had him name all the animals. And in naming all the animals, he observed all the animals, that there were two of every kind. And guess what conclusion he came up with? I'm not attracted to any of these. And I'm alone. And so then God put him to sleep, and God pulled out of the man a woman, and then presented the woman to the man so that the man would understand this is God's design for me. This is God's purpose that the two shall become one. And he needed to know that that was a design from God. Now, marriage is the foundation of human institution and we are not to pull asunder what God has created. And that's not just a reference to a particular marriage. That's a reference to all marriage. There's one design for marriage. A man shall marry a woman. Apart from that, you're ruining the design of God. And you're dismantling the design of God and you should not separate the design of God. So I would boldly declare this is God's design that a man and a woman should be one in covenant and in marriage. Now, here's something really interesting that maybe some of you have found out. Some of you are on your way to find this out. And that is that men and women are different. It's true. Now, I could be fired at a college or university for saying that. In fact, about seven years ago, a professor at Harvard made this declaration that men and women are different, and he was immediately fired. Because we're trying to make sure that there's no difference between men and women, that they are equal. I understand equal pay for equal work and so forth, but you can't 
walk away from this figuring out we're the same. We're built differently, mentally, emotionally, structurally, and so forth. Let me put it to you this way. One's not better than another. In fact, when God created woman, he said it was what? Very good. He had created everything and said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But then when he brought woman to man, he then declared it is very good. This is God's design, that he designed the woman to fit to the man. I don't need to get into sex education today, but you can figure that one out when you're married, that a man fits in a woman. And that is a physical representation of the uniqueness of each of us. We're designed differently. In fact, let's do something very simple. If we were the same, it would look like this. Right? If we were opposites, it would look like that. For those of you on the tape, we've got puzzle pieces here. But we are not the same and we are not opposites. We are, in fact, complements. We were made for each other. And that is a uniqueness. Now what my wife has, I don't have. What I have, she doesn't have. I'm sure there are things we both share. But there's a complement in it so that the two become one and we become strong through this. I'm happy to say that yesterday was our 34th wedding anniversary. There's my lovely bride. And uh, I absolutely, oh, did I get a whistle? Good. I absolutely love marriage. It's the most important thing in my life. Now you'd say, oh yes, pastor, but Jesus is. Of course, I couldn't stay married if I didn't have Jesus. Uh, we need the Lord, don't we? But it is the most favorite thing in my life. And so let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and read this portion of Scripture. Now he says, likewise. Where'd the likewise come from? Well, the whole situation between a slave and the master. That sense of living as a slave to Christ, mutual submission. He says, here now, as we're submitting to every human institution, likewise, let us submit one to another, as Paul says in Ephesians. Let us submit now one to the other, and so likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, if your husband doesn't obey the word or isn't a believer, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or putting on the clothes, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So we begin with women. Being submissive to a husband doesn't mean you're less. There's a few statements that some folks have made. The husband may be the head of the family, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. I think that's a great analogy. That's two working together to accomplish something. 
And uh, we're not going to get into a full discussion on marriage this morning where we would bring in Ephesians chapter 5 and I could express to you all that Paul says in the book of Ephesians and uh, so forth. So we're just going to stick right to what Peter's saying. Also, a car needs an engine, but it also needs a steering wheel to get where it's going, correct? So can two walk together unless they be agreed? What we need to find out is the uniqueness of our each gender, of how we were uniquely made for each other. And this is the glory of the design. When you find out how your mate was made for you and you were made for them, you will now enjoy the uniqueness. But if you're always trying to make them be like you, you're going to spoil the uniqueness and usually have a problem usually have a problem. So wives, the first thing, Peter points out three things that I want to discuss with wives and help those who may eventually get married to understand. Number one, submit. Submission. What is submission? He says, likewise, wives, be subject or submissive to your own husband. Now, there's a very important word here. Wives, be submissive to men. Is that what it says? It says, wives, be submissive to your own husband. Okay? So this is speaking in a culture where women were to be submissive to all men everywhere. Paul, uh, Peter is speaking out saying, your submissiveness is unto your husband. Okay? Your own husband. I'm not talking about being rebellious anywhere else. Act like a Christian. Walk submissive like a Christian would. But your subjection, your submission is unto your husband. Now, submission is that which is a willing desire to give to someone. Because if you were doing it to earn something, that's a wage. That's not submissive, that's work or employment. Correct? If you were submitting because of coercion or force, now we're back to slavery. That's not submission. Do you understand? So this isn't submitting so that I get something back as a wage. This is not submitting because I'm forced to do so. True submission is a willful desire to gladly serve the other. Who would be a great representation of submitting? Jesus, submitting to the Father's will as a love and respect unto Him to accomplish His purpose and goal. So wives, number one, you're to submit to the husband. In other words, give your heart as a free act and in a loving response to your husband. This is not out of weakness and frailty of your abilities. This is, in fact, a strength because a helpmate is filling it in and filling out what the other lacks. It is a necessary, necessary placement. So my wife fills up my life in all the things I lack, she's able to fill. And I count on her for that. And she submits unto me in that willingly to give it to me, and I respect and honor that. Amen? So the first is a true understanding of submission. Now we've seen in history, Scripture abused and Scripture used to where it's, woman, get my slippers, woman, get the paper, woman, fix my meal. The Bible says so. And we use it as a, as a hammer. But that's not love. God doesn't coerce anyone. 
but he asks for a willing submission that we would love him. Correct? And so this is not foreign to us as believers to be submissive. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Secondly, they say this, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now ladies, you may be telling your husbands what to do. Uh, You may be telling them how to do it. You may be telling them what they're not doing right or well enough. They may not even be a believer, Peter says. But he says, you know what needs to speak louder than words? Actions. Attitude. Can I tell you that what Peter's advice this morning is going to be, Peter's advice this morning is really an attitude and posturing of the heart. Peter isn't doing marriage counseling by taking you into how to handle your finances, how to resolve conflicts, how to get the most out of what you want done. It's not about the stuff that we're always bickering about. It's not the stuff that creates the problems in the marriage. It goes to the root of the attitude towards each other that's the key. It's the heart of the issue. Submit willfully unto the leader and headship of the husband. And secondly, respect your husband. Show respect. Men want respect. Now there's a whole seminar and teaching. We've had it here in the church. We'll have it again. Love and respect based on Ephesians chapter 5, 31 and 32. And it's a great series. If you want to get into it, go ahead into it. But I'm sticking strictly with Peter this morning. And Peter says, respect. Wives, respect your husbands. And men, men feed off of respect. Men love respect. And so this will go well with you. So what are some things to show respect? Number one, be kind. Proverbs says it's better to live up in a corner of an attic than to have a contentious wife, an argumentative wife. Learn to be kind. Be kind. Build up rather than tear down. Praise Him. Men love attaboys. Men identify themselves by what they achieve and what they do. Okay? That's why guys stay longer at work. If they're getting more attaboys at work than at home, guess where they're going to spend more time? At work. Because they get an attaboy. Hey, you did a great job. Now, you might think that sounds childish. It's just the way men are wired. Have you ever seen guys play football, baseball, right? I mean, how many touchdowns? Every touchdown they got to celebrate. Are you kidding me? Right? But you have to. You did a good job. We did a good job. In fact, they even hire cheerleaders. What do you think the cheerleaders are all about? You go. You're so good. Yay, team. Woo. Yes, I am. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Men need this stuff. They love praise. Obviously, we need to be corrected. We need to be helped. But do it in a kind way, in a building up way, praising Him. Invest in Him. Ladies, invest in Him. If you see Him gravitate towards something He loves, invest in that thing. Promote it in Him. Now, if it's uh, off kilter and out of whack, deal, uh, pray for Him. Number five, (laughs) put more effort into your role as a wife than your role as a mom. I've seen so many marriages 
where the wife finds her nurturing and her caregiving unto the children so much and the guy's got to work overtime to pay for the kids and school and the extra car and the car seats and the sports activities and this and that and sooner or later what's going on with the marriage it's splitting apart and they're devoting themselves to their children and then their children leave and then they look at each other and go what was your name (laughs) remember everything in your household is a byproduct from this covenant marriage The job you got to support the marriage isn't more important than the marriage. The job you got to get the car to get you to work and your wife to the kids to the school is not more important than the marriage. And then the kids are not more important than the marriage. And then everything that you've done that you've mounted up and that you're keeping track of and that you're having to support and work on always overtakes the essential reason you did all this. It's all the fruit of the marriage you've got to keep the marriage last speak loving and encouraging words into his life we criticize each other and many times women will point out the the failures of the men and guess what they already know that they know they've failed they're trying to find a way to make it work and so they need that support so be respectful respect men seriously this beats into a man's heart when he feels that his wife respects him, loves him, and honors him. Now, interestingly enough, Peter ends with this statement, courage. He says, do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. That's interesting, isn't it? Submit, respect, and be courageous. Well, some of you ladies are saying, I have to be married to him. Battle every day I have to be courageous about. Well, when I think about this, be courageous. Remember his illustration is Sarah, right? Sarah, as women who have hope in God, submitting as Sarah to her husband, even calling him Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Master. Yes, sir. I love you. I respect you. Now, Sarah had her authority in the house, didn't she? If you read the story, you realize she had plenty of authority in the house. She told Abraham what to do, what not to do, right? Got Hagar out of there. She ran the show, too. So again, when we say respect and when we say submit, you have to understand its full meaning. Yet she totally respected Abraham and went where Abraham went and did as Abraham asked. Can you imagine Abraham coming to you and say, you know what? God talked to me. Oh, did he? Yes. What did he say? We're supposed to have a baby. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. We're supposed to have sex. Oh, come on! Use the God card on that one. For 10 years. He's 90, she's 80. Now he's 100, she's 90. Seriously? You've got to have courage. But I also think of the one who's writing this book. It's Peter. Peter had a wife. How many of you know that? Peter had a wife. In fact, uh, at one point in, in, in the Gospels, Jesus healed Peter's wife's mom, his mother-in-law. Do you remember that? They went to the house. She was sick and dying. He healed her. And she got up and served him food. <laughs> that works. 
But when I think of this being courageous and I think of Peter's wife, could you imagine Peter coming home to his wife? We don't know her name. Nowhere in church history do we know her name. Could you imagine Peter coming home and saying, Honey, I quit my job today. What are you going to do? I'm going to follow that rabbi. Seriously? Wherever he goes, I'll be back in three years. You can come with me, stay home. I don't know how it worked. But obviously they kept checking in. He kept going home and they kept seeing each other. Interesting, right? And then after Jesus died and rose again, Peter and his wife, I would imagine she was in the upper room with him. I would imagine she went where he went. And they traveled. You've got to be courageous to travel with Peter. He was locked up and chained in jail. He was afflicted. He was abused. He went wherever. But you have to be courageous. Wives, you need to be courageous. You can't be fearful of things. If the husband needs to do something or go somewhere or you need to establish something, don't just bury your head and say, I'm afraid, or don't just say, no, I can't do this. It's going to take courage to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that? And probably the greatest courage that there ever was is the greatest story, not the greatest, but one of the greatest stories in church history is that Peter and his wife were crucified together. And as they were being led to the cross of where they were going to be martyred for their faith, as they took Peter's wife and began to nail her to a cross, Peter kept telling her, remember the Lord, trust in the Lord. He encouraged her. He spoke to her. She had to be courageous and keep her faith even unto the end. And Peter then said, I am unworthy to be put on the cross as my Savior was. Put me on the cross upside down. And they nailed Peter upside down on a cross. And as you would look at that hill and you would see Peter and his wife And as Peter is hanging upside down, barely grasping enough breath to breathe, he would utter to his wife, trust him, trust the Lord, trust him. You want to talk about courageous. She submitted to her husband. She respected his calling. And she was courageous to follow him even unto death. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now, Let us see what he says to husbands. And so we read in verse 7 of chapter 3, Likewise, here we go again, the same kind of submitting to the human institution of marriage, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, it's interesting in the original language where it says, husbands, live with your wives. Where else are you going to live? In the shed? Or maybe you'll put her somewhere else and you live in the house. I don't know. But in the original language, when it says, live with your wives, again, think of the culture he's speaking into. They had wives, they had concubines, they had this and that. What it means is be a one-woman man. 
That's what it means when he's describing, as Paul is describing, elders should be married to one woman, right? It should, uh, the, the proper translation of that, because if you, if you consider that, well, that means that he's only supposed to have one wife. Well, every Christian's only supposed to have one wife. That would be giving permission to everybody that's not an elder to have more than one wife. And that's not what Paul was saying at that point. What he was saying in the rendering, see, man and wife or husband and wife is the same Greek word as man and woman. And so what Paul means in that description of an elder, it means to be a one-woman man. And that's what Peter's talking about. Live with your wife. She's yours. Be hers. Live with your life. Be alongside your wife. And then he says this about that. In an understanding manner. Now, this is interesting because the word for an understanding way is that a man is to be continually learning his wife. Continually learning his wife. There's a lot to learn, gentlemen. There's a lot to learn. Don't give up. It's a wonderful adventure. It really is. But it means live with her, abide with her in an understanding, ever-learning way. What am I supposed to learn? Learn how to protect her. Learn what she loves. Learn what she needs. Be the lead. Learn to know how you can prepare the way for what she needs to accomplish her tasks. Learn her. Know the house. Know the kids. Understand what should be done. And that is a powerful thing. She'll respect you because you're learning her. Does this make sense? She'll submit to you as she's submitting to your leadership because you're understanding her. You're not going to make a decision based on just you. You're making a decision now because you understand her reasoning and thinking. I don't make decisions by myself. I've lived a long life of doing that. And my wife has fixed most of those problems. I learned to ask her. Because women see and perceive things differently than men. Men look at things right here, right now. Women have this ability to see in 360 degrees. They know what's coming tomorrow, next month. All I care about is the next five minutes. I'll get the job done, but I'll make a mess that I should have realized in an hour, company's coming. Didn't think of that. Just wanted to get the job done. I'm always asking my wife for her input. I need her understanding. I need to understand what she sees that I don't see. And this is how we're to walk together. You really need to understand a woman's language, too. Just for fun, I thought I'd throw this in. Five terms men should understand. Fine. Men, you need to understand what that means. It don't mean fine. It means she's right, and you need to stop talking. You've got to understand what fine means. Nothing. That means there's something. No, nothing. Yep. There's something you need to be worried about. You need to understand what that nothing means. Oh, go ahead. That is not permission. Mm-mm. No. 
It's more like a dare. It really is. Whatever. That means this conversation's not done. There's more to be said. She's not happy with it. Then, of course, that's okay. She's just figuring out how to fix this thing later. Whatever. Fine. Nothing. Go ahead. We've got to learn these things. We've got to understand each other. And again, women, you need to understand your man and know how to uh, work with that as well. Here's the second thing that Peter says. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, women don't like that. What do you mean, weaker vessel? Again, understand the culture you're speaking into. Women couldn't vote. Women couldn't, uh, in the marketplace, women couldn't be alone, couldn't do a lot of different things in Roman uh, society and so forth, considered second. But most of all, the weaker vessel is that men are stronger than women. Now, some of you might find a guy you could beat up, but (laughs) in general, men are, are stronger than women. Uh, and that's all it means, is, is this, that you care for her. Honor her. Honor is a tremendous, tremendous word. Now, what does it mean to honor your wife? First of all, the things you honor, you set above. That is tremendous. Set her above your needs, your desires. If you'll remember what Paul says... We are to love our wives as Christ, what? Loved the church and gave himself for her. So men, you are to honor her as a vessel of honor. She's the weaker vessel, so you protect her. Her interest is more important than your interest because you're honoring her. You're caring for her. And so you honor her in your choices. You honor her in your decisions. You honor her in your words. You honor her in your activities and deeds. If the woman is concerned about loving her husband as the church loves Christ, praising and submitting and respecting him, he'll be filled up with that. And if he will begin to honor her and set her above his desires, his needs and his choices and esteeming her greater than himself, You've got an amazing life-giving flow into each other's lives, hitting the mark for each other. But what happens is when flesh and selfishness comes in, you rob honoring her so that you honor yourself and you make your choice to get what you want. And she's got to live with it and submit to me. Well, you've broken down honoring her. I don't think she's going to want to submit. Right? Again, remember what submission is. Freely giving. She can withhold in her heart. Many in marriages have withheld submission in their heart from the other person. Though they'll do what you say, they don't respect you and they're really not submitting. They're just doing it to get along. That's not what Peter's talking about. He wants something deeper. So men, learn to honor your wife. Honor her. Honor her gifts. Men, You're supposed to understand her. Do you understand the gifts she has in the Lord? Do you see the glimmer of a new gift showing forth in your prayer life with her? And now begin to encourage her. Oh, I see that. Begin to honor that gift. Honor her abilities. 
Honor what she tries. She wants to try and do something new. She's going to go into real estate. Honor it. Support her. Honor what she's doing. Honor her abilities. Honor her intelligence. Well, she doesn't know math like I know math. Yeah, but she knows something else that you don't know. Honor it. Work together. God made us so that we would complement each other. And so last of all, the third thing he says is share. Oh, I put this because I like it. A sure sign of a man's strength is how gently he loves his wife. Isn't that good? I like that. The third thing he says is this. He says, share. Why? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Again, there is no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free in Christ Jesus. Jesus levels the playing field. And even in a culture here where women were second rate, the Christian life says she's a co-heir with you in your salvation. She is a joint heir with you. She is equal with you before the Lord Jesus Christ. She has a position and a job to accomplish, as do you. Now honor her in that same level of sharing your salvation together. Share your life together. Men, share your life with your wife. Share your thoughts with her. Share your plans with her. Share your joys. Share your sorrows with her. Now, as we look at both of these things, and now as husbands are to understand, honor, and share with their wives, and women respect, submit, and and, what did we say? Courage, have courage. Both of these things are essential. Why? Because it says this. If you do not, your prayers will be what? Hindered. Isn't it interesting that a direct correlation to the health of your marriage is the health of your prayer life? To the health of your spiritual well-being before God plays directly on how you speak to each other and how you live for each other. Having trouble in your spirit life? Check out your marriage. Having trouble in your marriage? Check out your spiritual life. We've got to work these things together. That's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. Because prayer to your spirit is like oxygen. No prayer is like no oxygen. And your marriage begins to fail. So, we need to learn what Peter's saying. And we need to develop a prayer life for each other, with each other, so that we can accomplish what God wants to accomplish. This is hard work. It is, if you're married, this is the first calling you have in your life. It's the greatest covenant you've made. This is your first calling before God. If you're married here this morning, this is your first calling before God. Get this right, and then you can do other things for the kingdom. That's how I see marriage. If you'll look at an elder or a deacon, they got to get the marriage right before they'll serve beyond that. Let's get the marriages right. Let's work on that. Because strong marriages build a strong church and build a strong country and build a strong society. Amen? And Peter said, how are we going to have the church sustained through these perilous times? We need strong marriages. Let's bow our heads. Father, would you help us understand what you're calling us to?